you know, you, you'd mentioned uh, earlier, you asked us about crowdfunding. David talked a little bit about, you know, having put together weapons of mass deception. There were a couple of things that we had to sort of overcome initially. And that was, you know, he said, how, how do two, <laughs> the, the, real, the real question is, how do two type A personality guys, both of whom are trained to lead from the same institution, put aside their egos long enough to sit down and, and, and write something creatively together where the work is the number one thing, not, not the credit. An excerpt from one of today's guests, J.R. Olson, one half of the prolific writing duo of Bruns and Olson. They're both here and we'll discuss their new military thriller series, Command and Control, right after this break. I'm Robert Child and this is Point of Despair. Next time you're on YouTube, check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel. We've got bonus video material from podcasts plus tons of military history videos, including full-length documentaries. It's a great way to spend some time, and don't forget to subscribe while you're there. And click the bell icon so you'll be notified of all the great weekly videos we're uploading. Welcome back. Today's guests are both graduates of the Naval Academy and have been creating military thrillers together for more than six years. Their new series, Command and Control, launched in January. Their latest book is called Counter-Strike, and the duo of David Bruns and J.R. Olson join us now. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks thank you so us. much for having us. Well, we're honored, and uh, thank you guys for your service. You both spent time in the military. Is that where you met, or how did you come together? You want to take that one, David? Yeah, sure. So actually, no. So uh, J.R. and I are both uh, proud graduates of the United States Naval Academy. I was class of 88, the last real class. Yeah. JR was two years behind me, <laughs> class of 90. Um, fun fact, my wife was class of 89, so when we get together, we have a continuum. Uh, we did not know each other at the academy. We did not know each other when we served. I got out after six years. JR spent, spent a full career in. We actually met when JR retired and came back to Minnesota, and uh, we were both part of the alumni group here. Um, and uh, that's actually how we first came to know each other. So it was it had... Uh, we, we were both in the Navy for, you know, quite a long period of time, but we didn't know each other while we were in. That's interesting. And, and I can continue that on if you want. Uh, I can tell a little bit about how we got started writing as a team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that'd be a follow-up. We've been asked by uh, the Naval Academy Parents Association here, here in Minnesota, so their, their kids were all midshipmen at the Naval Academy, uh, to come and speak uh, about our time at the Naval Academy, about our time in the Navy, and uh, what we've been doing since. And so David and I were there with another member of our alumni uh, chapter, uh, and, and we went through our backgrounds. David went through his time in submarines, and then what he'd done as a corporate career, very a very successful cor corporate career, I will add. And then I went through my background as an intelligence officer in the Navy, some of the things that I had done, like had kind of a unique specialization in, uh, in human intelligence or human as a CIA trained case officer working for DOD. And <laughs> we got done with our with our respective presentations, got to the end of sort of Q&A with the parents. And one of the parents stood up at the back of the room and said, you two should get together and write a book. Because <laughs> David had been talking about the fact that for the last two years at that point, he had uh, stopped, he, he said, I'm done working for the man. I want to pursue my lifelong career becoming an author. And he had thrown in 110% on that effort. And uh, he'd already been publishing some work on the science fiction side. So it was sort of a natural thing. And uh, that, you know, this parent said, we ought to get together and write a book. And so a week later, David gives me a call and says, hey, you want to go out to lunch? <laughs> and I knew exactly what was coming. So 
Yeah. And we've been writing together since. How many years ago was that? That was in 2014. Oh, 2014. Yeah, so, so I'd finished a science fiction series and uh, that was the first thing I had written and published. And I was looking for the next thing and I sort of wanted to do, you know, like a military thriller type thing. Um, but I had been out at that point. I got out in 94. Mm. So this was uh, 2014. So it's so why I've been out for actually quite a while. And I, and I wasn't sure I had the military chops, the, you know, relevant experience to actually write it. So when this, when this guy makes this, makes this suggestion, I'm like, you know, I could write that, but I, you know, but I would need help. And mm -hmm. JR sounds like the perfect guy. Cause he, at, at that point, I think he had retired like a year or two before. Going back to that time, 2014, uh, 2015, I noted that you, in 2015, you crowdfunded a book weapons mm -hmm. of mass deception yep what was what was that process like because i know it is a, it's not easy people think it's easy but it's not yeah um so crowdfunding was actually a really interesting process so uh the first the first hurdle we had to overcome uh when we started working together was um i knew i could write a book because i had just written a couple of books could we write a book together then could we write a book together that was any good and then what are we going to do with it once we have it completed, right? So we got it all together, we finished it, and we liked it, and we had, you know, done a lot of work on it, and we decided we were going to crowdfund it. Well, I think we wanted to raise, I think it was $4,000 for editing and for uh, um, uh, all the book production needs. And um, you're absolutely right. Just a lot of people think if you just put something up on Kickstarter, people are just going to show up and give you money. That is not how it works at all. We talked to a lot of people about it, and we felt that with the network we had, both with the Alumni Association and professionally, that we could probably raise the money. But I think the important thing that anybody who's thinking about Kickstarting needs to understand is you bring the audience to Kickstarter. Kickstarter doesn't provide the audience. Absolutely. So that was kind of lesson number one, which was proven to be very, very true. The second thing we found out that uh, we did not understand and we did not expect was that the thing that really shines on crowdfunding is things that somebody can only get from the crowdfunding event. So for example, we did a hardback dust jacket, limited edition numbered signed version of that book. And then we crowdfunded a, a second book after that. And that was, I think they were $50 a piece. That was by far the best moneymaker for us because it was something that people could only get there. And you know, they, people felt like they were supporting a dream, which they were. And they were also going to get something very unique, which they literally couldn't get anywhere else. They call them perks, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, rewards, I think, is what uh, Kickstarter uses them. Yeah. Other platforms that are similar have have uh, similar names. Getting back to your current book, Counter-Strike, which is uh, your latest thriller, and the second one in the series after Command and Control came out in January. Was there a reason why you released these two books so close together? So that, that was actually a decision made by our uh, the publisher that we signed on with uh, a year ago in December of uh, 2020. Uh, they actually decided to release these pretty close together. And frankly, I mean, I think that's genius. I mean, the Counter-Strike's ready to go. Why not get it out the door as soon as possible to follow up on Command and Control? Uh, the first three books in this series are actually a trilogy, so they're all directly connected to one another. Think of it like uh, the Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. So... As Command and Control finishes, we set up and Counter-Strike kicks off essentially the next day. 
Uh, and we're actually finishing up the manuscript for the third book in that series, Order of Battle, right now. We might even be done with that by uh, by the middle of next week. Is that about right, David? Maybe? Well, it's a little bit ambitious, but <laughs> it'll be we'll within be the next month. <laughs> we'll be close. Well, how long are your books? Are they average thoroughly length, 90, 100,000 words or less? Or? Yeah, so um, one of the things we, so when we planned this series, all of our previous books had all been centered on, uh, we call them the, the uh, uh, WMD files, the weapons of mass uh, destruction files. Each book took a particular threat and it built a story around the threat using a common set of characters. So weapons of mass deception was about nuclear proliferation. Jihadi Apprentice was about uh, homegrown radicalism. Uh, Rules of engagement was about cyber warfare. Uh, Pandora deception was about bioweapons. When we, when we ended that series and we started a new series with our new publisher, which is Severn River Press, we decided we wanted to go bigger. And what that meant to us was we wanted to have a big overarching story over at least the next three books, possibly four books, um, and then have individual standalone novels within those. Uh, this is essentially a great powers conflict. This is a war and peace for our time, or this is, uh, um, you know, other books that cover like big grand World War II type type uh, sagas. And uh, the first one is about a Russian deception. And the second one is about uh, Chinese invasion of uh, Taiwan. Um, the interesting part about writing about Taiwan is that it's literally happening, right? And, you know, it's, it's, this is like current events. I think yeah. it'd be hard, hard pressed to find a military strategist who doesn't think it's going to happen at some point in the, you know, relatively near future, right? Right. Um, so, so that, that was sort of the, the bedrock for, for that story for it, for us. I noted that uh, plot line and it does seem ripped from the, you know, future headlines. We, we try. <laughs> That's good. That's good. How much do you think that the, the storyline mirrors a potential future? That's a great question. Uh, yeah. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> you know, if it does, we're all in deep trouble. Uh, I, I think uh, I think the great thing about this, you know, you'd, you'd mentioned uh, earlier, you asked us about crowdfunding. David talked a little bit about, you know, having put together weapons of mass deception. Uh, there were a couple of things that we had to sort of overcome initially, and that was, you know, he said how how do two <laughs> the the real the real question is how do two type A personality guys, both of whom are trained to lead from the same institution, put aside their egos long enough to sit down and and, and write something creatively together, where the work is the number one thing, not not the credit. And frankly, we've done a I think a very good job of pulling that together. We made sure we promised each other that our friendship would 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 trump everything else, that that was the number one thing, and that the craft, the art, uh, was what was most important, not our individual egos and whatnot. And the other thing that we tried to do with every one of our stories was to make them as realistic as possible. Mm. We, we both grew up reading these thriller novels, you know, Tom Clancy and others. And uh, whenever, you know, as a career military guy, when I spot something like in a book or in a TV show or a movie that's fundamentally wrong, it just ruins it for me. Right. So we we also promised each other that we would do our very best to try and find, you know, be, be as technically accurate as we could with everything we wrote uh, within within reason, right? Because we're projecting out a little bit about your future capabilities and things like that. But it's all based in in what we think is is happening based on the research and development that we see going on right now. So trying to write those stories 
as technically accurate as possible and projecting out what we see happening trend lines in the world. I mean, that's kind of what, what I did as an intelligence officer, right? I mean, that's what we're trained to do in the intelligence communities to look at trend lines, look at indicators and try and figure out what's happening. So we try to bring that to our stories. I hope you're enjoying this episode. March 25th is National Medal of Honor Day. And for that day, we have a very special episode planned. An interview recorded several years ago with one of the Medal of Honor recipients in my book, Immortal Valor, Vernon Baker. In March of 19, February or March of 1996, I received a telephone call from a Professor Gibran back at uh, Shaw University in North Carolina. And uh, when this one, I, I answered, I happened to answer the telephone. I usually don't answer the telephone, but this morning, I don't know what happened. I happened to pick the telephone up and answer it. And a voice on the other end of the line said, Lieutenant Baker? Yes. So what do you know about the Medal of Honor? Uh, I said, nothing. And I started to hang up because I thought it was some nut. And he said, uh, don't hang up. And he said, uh, I'm, this is Professor Gibran from uh, University, Shaw University in North Carolina. And the Army has given us a $350,000 grant to investigate why no black serviceman received the Medal of Honor in World War II. That's next time. March 25th is National Medal of Honor Day, and my new book, Immortal Valor, about the black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumph. I hope you check out Immortal Valor, which is on sale now as we celebrate all Medal of Honor recipients on March 25th. Now back to the conversation. For some of the behind-the-scenes, you know, tactical work, do you have to have your books vetted by uh, an agency in the government? No. Now, within the first five years of my retirement, theoretically, I, I would have had to do that. But none of the stuff that we're writing is like uh, a tell-all story like... Uh, you know, how we took down bin Laden or something like that. Everything we're writing is complete fiction. Right. So we pull everything, all the information right off the internet. I mean, that's literally where we get it. Uh, there's lots and lots of material out there in the open source world that talks about uh, RDT and e, research development, testing and evaluation. And if you just keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world, you can kind of see where things are going out there in the world. Getting back to your friendship and, and writing as a duo, do you divide up the the duties? Does one person take the uh, dialogue? Does another take the action? How do you how do you work it out? Yeah, so, so when we start a new book, we sort of brainstorm about what is the story arc? What's the story going to be, right? Um, and we'll have, you know, a number of meetings anywhere from, you know, uh, two to five to ten. Pre-COVID, we had breakfast a lot of times and we'd sort of kick stuff around and we'd so we start out with this core group of characters and then we have the core problem, which we're trying to solve. And then we sort of start to slot stuff together and we talk about it until we've got, you know, until we can give the high points of the story end to end. So we know where it begins. We know where it ends. We know the big scenes in the beginning. And then we start a process of um, writing down a narrative and eventually over, you know, back and forth and Zoom calls and trading things back and forth. We get to a chapter by chapter. In this chapter, you know, Joe 
has this and this is where they are and this is the time of day it is and this is what's going to happen in that chapter and we sort of iterate until we get to that point um and then i go through it and i identify the things that i'm going to need help on so technical details right so if we're writing a scene with a guy who's in the cockpit of an f-35 i'm going to need a lot of information about f-35 because i'm not a pilot right um, so JR gets, JR does all of our research. Uh, so he, he provides me with anywhere from, you know, the, you know, two sentence snippet. And I run from there because I understand what's going on in that chapter to a five page outline of this is what's going to happen. And, you know, this is what happens. This is what button he pushes, whatever. And I write a draft. Uh, mm. our, our process has, has iterated over time, but the process as of today is I write a draft. As soon as that draft is done, I put it into Google Drive. It goes to JR. JR looks at it, puts it back into another folder, and I keep going. I, I typically don't go back and look until we get to the end, and I usually I write chronologically. Um, and then we go back and reconcile, put it into a big document, and then we go through it again. Okay, what's missing? Where do we have plot holes? What needs to be beefed up? What's uh, a couple used for the more complex scenes? A lot of times we'll have iterations on a chapter we might go through it three or four times back and forth mm -hmm. until we get it right if there's something very technical like for example the book we're writing now which is called order of battle comes out in the fall um that's about speaking current events that's about russia invading ukraine uh <laughs> we we do know how to pick them there's yeah. a, there's a number of scenes in tanks we don't know anything about tanks we reached out to our publisher reached out to people who follow us and found some you know tankers and they're uh, armor, us out armor officers. Yeah. Armor officers, yeah. Yeah, and who are who are you know spent some time on Zoom with us. Uh, we watched I uh, watched a ton of videos and read some articles, and we you know generated our first tank chapters and sent them in for approval from the boss. We got back a thumbs up, couple couple things, but you know for 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 really technical areas, we we typically rely on a technical reader to uh, help us out. Yeah, I was going to ask you that if you had yeah. like a, a beta reader or, or a technical person to to go. Yeah, we that. we have turned to some people that you know we either either knew you know one of us knew knew that individual uh, or we we got them through our network and they have been lifesavers really for a lot of the the really technical stuff that we're trying to yeah. get right without without giving away anything classified. Yeah. Uh, I'll add on to the process that uh, you know David and I went through when we first when we wrote Weapons of Mass Deception, uh, we we're trying to figure out, okay, how are we gonna do this? And David mentioned, it's been an iterative process as we learned our way through this writing process. I can tell you that what we decided to do in the beginning was we, we outlined about six or eight, maybe chapters, what we thought was gonna happen in those chapters. We said, well, who's gonna do the writing? Mm -hmm. So we each sat down and kind of wrote the first three chapters kind of the way we would do it. And, uh, I read mine, you know, I'm a narrative kind of a writer, uh, fact-based writer as a career intel officer, everything has to be documented and whatnot. Right. David is really a creative writer. I mean, that's really what he had established himself as. And uh, when I read his stuff, I realized that not only does he know how to do dialogue a hell of a lot better than I ever will be able to do, but he can tell the, tell the story through that dialogue and through the eyes of the character in a point of view uh, approach that I that I really it would take me a long time to master that he'd already mastered it and his storytelling was much better than mine and he'd really kind of turned himself into a writing machine already from the work that he'd done on his own 
So it became sort of a natural process where I do the research, you know, prep, prep those chapter outlines ahead of time, give it to him. He does his writing magic. And then I do the edit afterwards or add in the technical details. And it has allowed us, frankly, I mean, the six book contract we have with Seven River Publishing is a great example of this. We're able to generate, what is it, a 400, 450 page book every six months. <laughs> it's a wow. good process, you know? Wow. Uh, but it also um, helps uh, uh, <laughs> uh, speed-wise, because if I'm writing along and, you know, a guy bursts into a room and he, you know, whips out his handgun, and I don't know what handgun, so I just put in brackets, fill in handgun here, and I send it to him, right. and he fills in the details, right, you know? So, uh, you know, so the it's, it's, it's very collaborative from the perspective of, uh, you know, he'll take what I have and he'll you know, enhance it and build it up and say, well, this is, this part, this part is not working, man. Um, and then we can go back and uh, work through it. So, so you get sort of an instant feedback and that's, that to me is something that you don't, if for anybody who's ever written a book, you realize you get into these points where you get stuck mm -hmm. and you're like, what the heck am I going to do now? Well, you know what I do? I call JR up and I say, okay, here we are. This is what's happening. This is what we said was going to happen. That doesn't work because this, this, and this. What do we do? And he's like, well, have you thought about this? Like, yeah, I thought about that. It won't work. Well, have you thought about this? No, I didn't think about that. All right, yeah. And then I'm off again. So he's like automatic writer's block yeah. breaker. That's thing. great to bounce ideas off yeah. each other like that. I think our new process actually helps us avoid writing ourselves into a box canyon because yeah. we actually set out the outline. I mean, we know what's going to happen in literally every chapter from start mm -hmm. to finish at this point in our in the process that we've built over time. So when we sit down to start writing, we we know exactly what's going to happen every single chapter. Yeah. And it makes it much easier. It's a much more fluid process. You know, it, it, <clears throat> proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance, right? Yes. <laughs> so so the more what I figured out from this teamwork that we that we've had is that the more uh planning the more thought you put into organizing your story ahead of time the more you plot it all out so you know everything that's going to happen the easier it is to actually sit down and write that that actually becomes almost a simple process right and it almost eliminates writer's block that's except right for yeah. you know minor things well it certainly eliminates one of the excuses for writer's block <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> Your publisher, I noted your publishers is yep. a military publisher or launched by a military, former veterans. Talk yep. about your publisher a little bit. Sure. So um, uh, Severn River Publishing. So for those that don't know, Severn River is the one that runs by the Naval Academy uh, that, that goes out to the Chesapeake Bay. So um, uh, Andrew Watts is the principal at Severn River Publishing. Uh, I knew Andrew. I met him a few years ago and he approached me. Uh, after we got a contract with uh, St. Martin's Press and asked us to write a series for them. And at the time, we weren't really interested, uh, but uh, circumstances changed later. So Andrew was actually, uh, is actually quite a successful um, uh, thrill, military thriller writer on his own. He's published um, a number of books, right. and he's also marketed them quite well and done quite well. So he knows, he, he knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. And he decided a few years ago to uh, bring on another very successful um, military thriller writer whose name is Jason Casper, I think, West Point graduate. Um, 
We don't hold that against them. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. Um, uh, and they form this this company. And so typically what they've done is they take, they take writers who are good writers, um, who maybe don't have the willingness or the skill to do the marketing side of it. Um, and they take their backlist and they repackage the backlist and market that. And then they add to those, uh, to those, uh, series. Uh, they're very interested in series because, uh, they know that uh, readers of this genre prefer to read in a series. That that's also one of the reasons why they, um, the strategy of launching the first two books so, so close together it just gets you more traction within the Amazon marketing machine. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that that uh, you know the characters that we started creating back with Weapons of Mass Deception when that book launched. Uh, some of them are continuing on into in this new series with Severn River Publishing. We, we were lucky enough to get approval uh, from uh, St. Martin's Press to go ahead and use those characters in our future novels. So that was that was very generous on the part of St. Martin's Press. And it was uh, sort of an exciting thing for David and me because these were characters that we built over years. We know them. They're our friends. <laughs> so sure. we're able to continue their stories yeah. on into these uh, into this new series of books. How many books do you have with St. Martin's Press? So we had two on our own. We had two with St. Martin's Press and the contract with Severn Rivers for six books. Um, mm -hmm. So the second one comes out uh, next week, comes out on the 8th, which is next Tuesday. Uh, the first one came out uh, January 11th. So it's been out about three weeks. And the third one, it looks like it'll be out sort of mid to late September of this year. And we do have a number of four, four uh, novellas as well that we wrote as companion pieces for the first four books. Each of those books has their own sort of companion uh, stories, origin story, backstory on, on a specific character that, uh, that readers really liked, but we didn't really have a lot of information in there on them. So we yeah. decided to, to give the readers a little bit more of what they were asking for on yeah. some of these characters. That sounds great. Well, congratulations on all the success. The book is called Counter-Strike and it's available at the link in this episode's description. David, JR, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was great. Thanks, Thanks so much. for having us. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. March 25th is National Medal of Honor Day, and for that day, we have a very special episode planned. An interview recorded several years ago with one of the Medal of Honor recipients in my book, Immortal Valor, Vernon Baker. In March of 19, February or March of 1996, I received a telephone call from a Professor Gibran back at uh, Shaw University in North Carolina. And uh, when this one, I, I answered, I happened to answer the telephone. I usually don't answer the telephone, but this morning, I don't know what happened. I happened to pick the telephone up and answer it. And a voice on the other end of the line said, Dennis Baker? Yes. So what do you know about the Medal of Honor? Uh, I said, nothing. And I started to hang up because I thought it was some nut. And he said, uh, don't hang up. And he said, uh, I'm, this is Professor Gibran from uh, University, Shaw University in North Carolina. And the Army has given us a $350,000 grant to investigate why no black serviceman received the Medal of Honor in World War II. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel 
with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.